gracious God, let these words be more than words. Give us the spirit, the conviction of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. What do you do when you find yourself in a mess? What if the mess was partly your creation? Today's readings from the Gospel and the Hebrew Bible present us with a bit of a mess. Maybe you came to church today looking for words of comfort and solace. This has been quite a week. After the events last weekend in Charlottesville and the rantings of our president, I could have used a different scripture passage. But we already read, Come to me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest this summer. Frankly, as much as I wish for something a little lighter, I think these might be the stories we need. Today we encounter two sets of characters who find themselves in a bit of a mess. Joseph and his brothers face a difficult reunion. Remember, Joseph's brothers sold the young dreamer into slavery. They brought back the coat of many colors stained with animal blood to their father Jacob. Joseph's father mourned. We fast forward. Joseph has made himself useful, indispensable in the court of the Egyptians. He is Pharaoh's right hand, and a famine falls across the known world. Joseph has served Pharaoh well. They have stockpiles of grain, enough not only for the Egyptians, but to sell to others. Joseph's brothers come with their hands outstretched. Little do they know, they're dealing with the one they sold into slavery. After much back and forth, today, Joseph can't contain himself any longer. He comes out to his brothers. He tells them who he is, and they are unable to speak. The other set of characters are Jesus and his disciples. This is perhaps the messiest story we have of Jesus. It seems clear what Jesus and the followers of Jesus should do when a woman comes asking for healing for her daughter. Have mercy on me, Kyrie eleison, she shouts again and again. Jesus does not answer. His disciples try to shoo her away. When she finally does get his attention, Jesus calls her a dog. We can try to rationalize, explain away Jesus' words, but there they are, even in Scripture. Jesus uses a racial ethnic epithet common among his people who viewed themselves superior to the Canaanites. Jesus demeans this woman. It's the messiest story of Jesus we have. Both of these situations, they are messy and uncomfortable. How do you confront a sibling you pretended to own and sold away? How do you engage when you encounter racist language? And sometimes it can seem like the Bible is an old, dusty collection of documents that have little relevance to our own day. Then sometimes we have a week like the one we've just had, and we encounter scripture that asks, how do you confront a sibling you've pretended to own and sold away? How do you engage when you encounter racist language? Make no mistake, 
Both of these questions are our questions. The Episcopal Church was complicit with the institution of slavery. We had special baptismal rites for enslaved people. White adults who were baptized promised to follow Jesus as their Lord. Enslaved African Americans, in order to be baptized, had to promise to obey their masters. We have repented officially as a body, but the demon is still with us. We are one of the most segregated denominations in the country. The people that identify as white make up roughly 90% of the membership of the Episcopal Church writ large. Holy Communion is helping with those numbers, but it's a big church. I learned something new about the Episcopal Church this week. There's a parish in Virginia I'd never heard of before. It is named, get this, Robert E. Lee Memorial Church. Lee was an Episcopalian. So, many, so were many of the other Confederate generals and leaders. The church generally goes by R.E. Lee Memorial. But in 2015, the vestry voted to keep that name. Our, our church has deep ties with history. As messy as it is, we will continue to be confronted by this history. As an aside, in my opinion, there is exactly one great memorial to Robert E. Lee, very close to our nation's capital. The memorial was begun by Abraham Lincoln's administration. You see, Lee's wife inherited from her father Arlington House on a beautiful bluff overlooking the Potomac River and what is now the National Mall. Arlington was Lee's home. During the Civil War, having taken Northern Virginia, the U.S. government seized the property, and the Lincoln administration began burying Civil War dead on the grounds of Lee's plantation. Today, Memorial Bridge connects Arlington Cemetery directly to the Lincoln Monument. Standing on those steps where Mary Ann Anderson gave a concert that the daughters of the American Revolution refused to allow in their hall. On those steps where Martin Luther King delivered his I Have a Dream speech. On those steps where I once heard the first openly gay Episcopal Bishop, Gene Robinson, pray before Beyonce performed for President Obama's first inauguration. On those steps, you can see Robert E. Lee's house in the background, surrounded by the graves of Union soldiers. That memorial reminds us from where we have come as a nation, and of the sacrifice and struggle that brought us this far. I don't think Lee needs any other memorials. That Virginia vestry should vote to change for a more saintly name. What do you do? when you find yourself in a mess? What if the mess was partly your creation? In both of today's biblical stories, we learn one strategy that doesn't work, silence. Joseph's brothers are stunned. They want to slink away without words. Joseph won't let them. Jesus' silence is even more problematic. You know that saying, silence is violence? It applies here. Why would Jesus ignore this woman's pleas? Why won't he heal her daughter the way he's been walking all over Palestine, healing and casting out demons? 
This gospel story, it's a mess. Thankfully, the Canaanite woman won't put up with his silence. She persists. Jesus finally responds, great is your faith. The woman's daughter is healed. Silence wasn't the answer. This story from Jesus, it's been one of the most difficult for scholars. They've tried to explain away Jesus' words, said he was simply testing the woman and his disciples, though there's no evidence of a test in the text. Black womanist and Latin American feminist theologians have pointed to another potential reading, one that I think helps us to manage the mess. Liberation theologies famously talk about an option for the poor, the option for the marginalized. They say that if you want to understand what is happening in Scripture, look to the poor. God seems to be working across the length of the Bible for the liberation of the least, the lost, and the left out. If you want to understand what the Bible has to say, you've got to look at it through the eyes of the most marginalized. Womanist and feminist scholars take the argument further. They say if you can see this pattern in Scripture you can apply it to the newspaper as well. If you want a Christian analysis of economics or of a violent situation, if you are a politician attempting to make a difficult decision, make the option for the poor. Look to how the decision or the situation will affect the most vulnerable. God sees the world through the eyes of the marginalized. Feminists and womanists point out the most vulnerable The poorest of the poor tend to be women. This woman that Jesus encounters, could she be inviting him and his followers to reconsider? Question the stereotypes. Not just because it is the right or the politically correct thing to do, but because her and her daughter's life and livelihood are at stake. In this case, an ethnic slur isn't just impolite. If Jesus had walked away, silent, if he had denied the healing, the consequences would have been huge for this woman. And, dare we ask, would Jesus be Jesus if he had stayed silent? If he hadn't listened to this woman, this persistent woman, if Jesus had kept believing he was only sent to Israel, where would that leave, would that leave room? for this room full of Gentiles. When you find yourself in a mess, a mess you and your kin have helped to create, what do you do? Following today's scripture, I'd say the Christian response can be pretty clear. Look to the most vulnerable. Take care of the weak. Listen. Ask how your decisions could harm folks who are struggling to make it day by day. Look at the world through the eyes of those who are suffering. If you don't know what the world looks like through those eyes, you don't know how God sees the world. We are in a bit of a mess these days. I'm very aware that I've been feeling like if I could only say the right words or repost the right article about race, I could prove to myself and to others that I am woke. We saw this week the powers of words as our president stumbled and failed 
to use the words that were necessary, required. Words matter. And I don't know that I always have the best ones, but I hope this week that I can leave you with a bit of hope. I hope to listen more to the words of women, people of color, anyone who is marginalized. As much as I am able, I hope to magnify the words and perspectives we hear too little from these days. When we marginalize these perspectives, we remain stuck in the mess. We risk missing the ever-persistent voice of God. Amen.